CC, growth journeys from emerging ecosystems to global markets. Yahoo acquired one company in Indonesia, and the company is actually, uh, as far as I know, it's smaller than Bukalapak. <laughs> so and this is real, and then many VC come to us, and then yeah, that's a reality. And the money uh, in front of us, we we start hiring people because previously we are only two of us. So <laughs> we start with the, our co-founder, and then yeah, with the funding is the time when we realize that this is going to be big. Zaki is the founder of Bukalapak, a unicorn and one of the largest e-commerce companies to ever come out of Indonesia. Zaki started Bukalapak 10 years ago with very humble aspirations, as a commerce company targeting hobbyists and cyclists. Over the last decade, the platform has been instrumental in bringing over 4.5 million of mom-and-pop shops and SME sellers to go digital. After leading Bukalapak for 10 years, Zaki has recently stepped down from the day-to-day management of the company and is now focused on investing in high-potential tech startups from Indonesia. In this episode, we discuss topics like the humble beginning of Bukalapak and the consequences of the realization around its true potential. Potential of taking a startup public in emerging markets and walking away from running the company you built. Let's get to it. Hey, Zaki. Thanks for being here today. Where are you right now? I'm in Jakarta. Oh, nice, nice. So we've met a while back. Obviously, you were in Istanbul. You also are 500 Startups founder, and I've known you through that as well. And I've closely followed your entrepreneurial journey and what came after. But for anybody who might not be familiar, can you please talk about your past a little bit, namely maybe starting Bukalapak 10 years ago, which is now a unicorn and one of the largest companies in Indonesia? Yeah, I'm Zaki. I found Bukalapak in 2010, 10 years ago. I think Bukalapak is an e-commerce company where sellers can upload and sell any kind of product to all over Indonesia. And yeah, I'm very lucky because right now Bukalapak is becoming a unicorn. Yeah, it's like one of the biggest success stories to come out of your country. I'm sure you're very, very proud. But, you know, I talk with a lot of founders and rarely founders, you know, when they're first starting, rarely they can realize how big their ideas can get. I mean, they have hopes and they have a vision, but because it's such a tough road ahead and many others fail, the targets aren't usually crystal clear in the beginning. Was that similar for you or was there a point where you knew you were onto something huge? I think... I can feel that. I think same with the first that you said. We didn't expect that it's going to be very huge because at that time, 2010, if you remember, it was financial crisis. Even the reason I started Bukalapak is because it's very hard for me to find a job. So that's why I, I started Bukalapak. The idea is end of 2009 and then it's launched in January 2010. So it's because of the financial crisis. Remember then 2010 is... No investor, no talent, no term startup in Jakarta, in Indonesia. So it's very not uh, ideal situation to start a company. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine how like silly those employers who didn't give you jobs right now must feel looking back at, you know, like your resume. But yeah, this is sometimes the story we hear people who are not happy with the status quo or who aren't in the best of the environments 
go out, build something and make the environment actually better. So at some point, I understand, I mean, in the beginning, you didn't realize how big this could get. But along the way, like along the 10 years, you probably knew at some point that, you know, this had the potential of being really big. And when you realize that, yeah, I think the first moment I realized that this is going to be is the first funding of, there is a one acquisition of uh, Indonesian company at that time, 2011, Yahoo. Yahoo acquired one company in Indonesia. And the company is actually, uh, as far as I know, it's smaller than Bukalapak. <laughs> so and this is real. And then many VC come to us and then, yeah, that's a reality. And the money... Uh, in front of us, we we start hiring people because previously we are only two of us. So we start with the, our co-founder and then, yeah, with the funding is the time when we realize that this is going to be big. Sure. And I'm sure, I mean, the foreign capital in terms of either VCs or potential acquirers coming to Indonesia created like a vibrancy in the ecosystem that happens in a lot of the emerging markets that we see. So when you finally realize, so Yahoo comes in, acquires a competitor or not a competitor, but a player who's like much smaller than Bukalapak. And then you realize you're probably onto something because international people are starting to look at your market. So when you realize that, what was the first panic that kind of hit in? Were you thinking, oh, like I need to go out and raise even more capital? Or were you thinking about like growing your team aggressively and finding A plus players? Or were you thinking about like, you know, making tweaks to the strategy or the product? What was the thing that you thought was the most urgent? I think the most urgent is before the funding, we start two of us, the co-founder, we don't get a salary. And uh, when the funding coming and then uh, we start hiring and then pay us the salary. Yeah, for sure. And when we look at some of these like super apps or like super platforms of especially emerging markets, we kind of see a couple different strategies that they adopt. Some go really horizontally wide. So thinking maybe they start with e-commerce, but then they go into payments infrastructure, they go into even lending, and they launch like more categories. And some others, they stay within their lane, but they geographically are very aggressive. And for example, a company that could start in Turkey would go to the Middle East and in different parts of the world. Within the 10 years that you ran Bukalapak, what was the strategy that you guys took? Were you just like so focused on dominating Indonesia with what you do before thinking about anything else? Uh, we, we only, even now, they are still focusing on Indonesia. So we believe in Indonesia because Indonesia is 50% of ASEAN. I think if you look at e-commerce, usually e-commerce start from niche, like certain category, certain category. And you know, this is a funny story because Bukalapak is actually was not general e-commerce. Actually, we start from a bicycle category. And then we move to automotive, closer category. Our story was we are hobbies and very niche uh, e-commerce player. Some people see that we are suddenly becoming a generic, but uh, the story is not like that. Start one by one. Yeah. Yeah, I, I see. I mean, it's like a very Amazon-like story, actually. Like, you know, and, and they're starting with books and then now like everything for you guys, it starts something very specific and now it's generalist. So I guess like even in the past 10 years, you've evolved and pivoted and changed incredibly. So that culture of change is, I guess, like within the DNA of the company still. So like now looking, you know, now you're not with Bukalapak anymore, but you're very active in the Indonesian ecosystem. And obviously when we're talking about high growth, like startup ecosystems in the world, you know, like talent is one one aspect of it. But let's imagine in these emerging worlds, there's enough uh, like qualified talent to build 
sizable businesses. The second leg is usually VC. Is there enough VC activity in, in the region to support these teams? And the third pillar that people don't talk about in the beginning, but eventually start talking about is exits, right? Are there enough people looking at the market to buy up companies? Or if the companies get too large, as in the case potentially for Bukalapak and some others, is the public listing market viable for that? Do you think publicly listing and doing IPOs for Indonesian companies in Indonesia or somewhere else is a viable option? Yeah, I think it's very viable. Even if you look at uh, Nasdaq, there is a company called Sale Limited. The valuation is huge. It's more than 20 billion company. And I think Indonesia can afford 5 billion to 10 billion company. I mean, uh, a company that value 5 to 10 billion Indonesia only, like Bukalapak or even the other player. I think it's, it's getting more viable. Yeah, yeah, that's good to hear because a lot of the time when we look at emerging markets, their public markets aren't usually deep enough to sustain like big unicorns. And that's why we see sometimes like dual listings. So a company would list in their own public market and then probably somewhere, you know, in London, New York or Singapore, maybe if it makes sense. But I guess the fact that these unicorns are coming out of these markets is pushing the public markets to you know, fix up and, and be better as well. Another thing we see a lot in emerging markets is access to talent. I mean, for people foreign to a specific emerging market, like a lot of people are to Indonesia, for example, and they look at the market from outside and they see there isn't a lot of established activity in tech and innovation. And the generic assumption is that it should be really tough to find and hire talent because there isn't enough depth in market or experience to give way to qualified talent. Oftentimes, that's what investors think when they look at emerging world. But yes, there's lack of experience, but usually no lack of talent or perseverance or incredible work ethic. What was your experience, you know, 10 years ago or even five years ago when you were trying to grow the team and find talent within Indonesia? Yeah, of course, if you uh, compare Indonesia to Silicon Valley, yeah, I believe it's far. <laughs> but Compared to 10 years ago or five years ago when I started and building Bukalapa, it's much, much better. For example, like product manager, I cannot find a position of product manager at the time. So many companies have a product manager. Usually it's called project manager or something like that. It's a, like a UX designer or UX engineer. So many new uh, positions in the market. And I think the fact that Indonesia has most of the unicorn from Southeast Asia, the employee of this unicorn, I think they are uh, mirroring to Silicon Valley, like Facebook, Google style. So I think it's getting more and more, much, much better. And I think this is the foundation of Asia tech industry. Because if you look at China, the most of founders actually previously work for another unicorn. The next unicorn create next, next unicorn, something like that. That's the pattern. So that's actually very interesting, Zaki, because that's what we see in Turkey as well. It's usually easier to find engineers than product managers, which requires more experience than skills. So your experience resonated with mine when we were building Peak and also about big companies giving way to the ecosystem and creating more companies. If you have one unicorn, like five, six, ten companies that are going to come out of that or you know, people who were trained in that company are going to build companies. So that is actually very nice to hear that's happening in Indonesia as well. So enough about Bukalapak. It's always an interesting story because it's one of the most successful stories to come out of Indonesia. My first baby. <laughs> I know, your first baby. I'm sure it was like very difficult to kind of walk away from that. You know, I have uh, two real kids. My wife always told, this is your second and third kids. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I completely hear that. But what are you focused right now? What are you doing right now? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, I'm doing investing now. I invest in a lot of early startup. Are you mostly focused on Indonesia? So far, 100% Indonesia. So is it difficult to distinguish between the investing responsibilities and the entrepreneurial urges? I mean, do you usually need to fight back the want to try to get more involved and more hands-on with some of the teams you mentor? I think it's different. It's different because when we focus on one startup, we really focus and then we we have to go deep into many things in one company, but you observe many, many industry, you becoming more macro or generalist, something like that, instead of deep into one sector, that's totally a different game. I, I hear that. So, but do you think, I mean, I'm sure that your operator experience like distinguishes you, sets you apart, right? From a lot of other investors. In investing, we put our position differently compared to the other VC because we know that we have a lot of experience in building companies. So we put ourselves uh, in the founder side, actually. We are more of a mentor for them. We're ready anytime to help, even checking their code or looking their company structure, or let's say they have a tough question regarding any problem, they can contact us. We are more uh, helpful to the founders. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure it attracts the highest caliber of founders to you over, you know, competition because of your relevant experience and because of this like very specific value add you bring to the table. But I mean, my experience, at least because I'm coming from an operator background as well, like oddly enough, another like really successful company from my part of the world. But I feel sometimes it's giving me almost like shackles because my past experience is making me more skeptical of some of the ideas or the teams I run into. And I say, like reflecting back on my own experience, I say, oh, there's no way this is going to work or there's no way this team is going to make it work. Do you sometimes feel that too? Yeah, but I feel that too. But you know, right? Something that unproven, you invest in something, you say A, B, C to the founders. Actually, I always talk to them because I worry that I'm too strong to giving the idea because the this idea from me actually, old idea, right? Maybe if I debate, uh, have a different argument with founders, I always say to them that, hey, trust your heart because I'm not always right. Because, you know, right, if you hear someone that has experience, it's not necessarily that someone right because the environment is different, right? That's why I like this industry because no one can say that this is really right. It's very tough because like as an entrepreneur, you do something and either it breaks or it works, but you know like the results immediately, whether it has worked or not. But with this business investing, like we plant all of these seeds at early stage, especially not knowing whether we're making the right calls. And then we're like literally waiting like for a couple of years to have some sort of a feedback loop and indication as to what we did was, you know, right or wrong. Um, so it's like a completely different experience. Do you think, I mean, do you like investing? Do you think you're going to be doing this long term or are you thinking about like maybe going to a different operator role at some point or maybe starting a new business or incubating ideas? I don't know, but I think I love, I love to experiment a lot. I'm going to spend my time to experiment a lot. I just follow the market. So that's what we do. Yeah. And do you think you're going to be continuing to focusing on Indonesian market or are you thinking about expanding and maybe getting a couple of different partners to work with, you know, within the region, the greater region and look outside of Indonesia? Or do you think like Indonesia is big enough? Like I don't need to look anywhere else. I think Indonesia first has to be my strategy because yeah, I grew up here and then I really know Indonesia 
and but you know Indonesia is the largest in Southeast Asia, so I really open a Southeast Asia startup. Uh, I think Southeast Asia is the closest startup that I'm looking. Sure. And when you're investing, are you looking for other Bukalapaks, which are hoping to be like massive in Indonesia first? Or are you looking for like local teams who are using the talent and capital efficiency to build maybe regional or global products? I think this is this is two options that really good, right? I mean, a company that are very efficient, and that, but we also expect the scalability. We always ask questions to us ourselves, is this going to be unicorn? No, no pressure. Not a high benchmark. Is this going to be a unicorn? No. Okay, then pass. <laughs> yeah, we always ask questions. That's why I think our portfolio will be very high number. Let's say 100 or 500, any other uh, startup. But we maybe have uh, 5, 10 or maximum 20 on in our lifetime of investment. But we believe that this is going to be a unicorn because, you know, we are operator in our heart continuously in the future. We are more on a smaller number of startup, but we really, really focus and back them. It's like uh, you have uh, kids. When you have uh, 10 kids compared to two kids and five kids, then it's different, right? The smaller, actually, the better because we spend the time to the kids uh, very, very well. And it's a high quality relationship. Sure, sure. I completely hear that. Um, no, thank you, Zaki. I mean, it's always very fun to catch up with you. Coming from an operator background, creating a massive successful company in a part of the world where not everybody is looking at, and then now, you know, taking all of that wisdom and value created and putting it back into the ecosystem and finding others who might have your opportunity. That's what we need in the emerging world. So I really look up to what you're doing. And as to close off, I kind of want to ask you three casual quickfire questions. And let's start. So let's say you're not allowed to work for a year and you can live anywhere you want. Which city would you live in? I would like to live in Solo. Solo is my hometown, actually. I was born there and then for 18 years, I lived there and yeah, I think yeah, Solo is a very nice city, small city in central Java. I have a very good memory in my life. So that's why it boosts my spirit. <laughs> that's a very nostalgic, nice answer. Uh, so if you had to rename Bukalapak, what would you name it now knowing everything about the company? Uh, I don't know. Maybe I call it Zaki Market or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's a cool name. It's actually easier for me to say so like that. <laughs> And if you had to donate your whole net worth into one company, what would that be? Um, I cannot name a company, but I think I will donate to the school because I think education is underrated investment. Actually, yeah, if you know, if you talk to many parents in here, education is not a good investment. But I think creating a high quality school and providing high quality education for mass people is very very important. Yeah, I cannot say that I don't have a privilege. I have privilege because I went to very good school when I was a kid. So I'm very lucky and grateful to have a very great education. That's why I want to a lot of more kids have a great education. Very, very noble. Very noble mission. I completely sympathize with that and I hear that and I believe in that too. Um, so Zaki, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. I'll catch you soon, okay? Thank you, Rina. When you hear a story like Zaki's, you realize that with the right timing, right people, and a lot of hard work, anything could be possible. If a market like Indonesia can be home to multiple unicorns, even those that start out with humble beginnings like Bukalapak, 
then why can't we replicate the same success in other parts of the emerging world? This gives me lots of hope. Until next time, everyone, stay CC'd. To stay in the loop, go to our website, getcc.com, or follow us at getcc'd on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube.